Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Hi, welcome to Hollywood Crime Scene. This is Rachel Fisher. Hi, this is Desi Jedekin. Hey, Desi. Hi. Let's start out the show by thanking the people who subscribed to our Patreon this past week. Patreon.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. Lots of bonus content there. You can also listen to our shows ad-free. So Look, a lot of people are asking about the pie lady because they see people talking. That was a bonus episode. Yeah, that's after show 50. We've done... <laughs> After show number fifty, we 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 talk about the pie lady. So if you want to, if you want the tea on that at the five dollar tier, yeah, you can have access to that and and like two hundred other episodes of bonus content. Good deal. I just made that number up, but it is close to two hundred. It's a lot. It's a lot. Okay, so this week we had Jade, Jamie, Claire, Shannon, Serena, Jamie, Tristan, Samantha, Magenta. David, Elsa, Catherine, Jasmine, Slug, Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, Lenny, and Christina. Thank you Thanks, so guys. much. So we are back for a final chapter on George Michael. Once again, my sources uh, for this episode were George Michael by Rob Jovanovich, Andrew Ridgely's memoir, Wham, George Michael and Me, and a book that just came out yesterday. <gasps> George Michael, A Life by James Gavin. Wow, Desi, did you read that whole book today? No, I'll tell you what happened. I got to the end. I was going through the Rob Jovanovich book, and it ended in 2007. And I was like, oh, shit, I thought this went up to you know 2016. Yeah. And I, I, had, I knew the book was coming out, and I was like, well, now I definitely need to get that book. So I bought it. And I just read where it ended in the Rob Jovanovich book. And I, I just filled it in with the ending of his book. Cool. That's like, so that's what I did. But it was really, I was like, thank God that book came out. Dude. Or I would have been like, shit. I mean, I could have found stuff online, obviously. Right. But it's better to have it all in one place. So yeah, it's, uh, it looks like a good book. It's definitely uh, more, it has a lot of details, um, obviously, that weren't in this, the first book, but... Yeah, so maybe I'll go back and read and see what I missed. Um, Anyway, where we left off, George has gone through a period of unbearable grief, first losing the love of his life and Selmo Philippa to AIDS and his beloved mother, Leslie, to cancer. It is now 1988. 1998. 1998, sorry. It says 98. I don't know why I said 88. (laughs) You know what? There's a lot of dates. (laughs) And he is spending most of his time in L.A. at this point he is about to have what he calls a pretty humiliating experience that I think he handles with grace and humor. So George and his boyfriend, Kenny Goss, are spending a lot of time together at Kenny's L.A. home. But George Michael, the, the George-Michael relationship that was dominating the tabloids at that time was between George and Jerry Hollowell, a.k.a. Ginger Spice. Uh, the tabloids were saying that they were dating because they got a picture of them holding hands. Was she also your favorite Spice Girl? Uh, 
Probably. Because she's the redhead. I don't think that was why, though. But She was my favorite. I, I mean, she's. I think she's... Yeah. I mean, I, I wouldn't have gone with any of the other ones. Possibly scary. Yeah. But I also kind of was like, eh, you're trying too hard. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I think Ginger was the most fun. Yeah. And she seemed the most down to earth for some reason. Yeah. I, I don't know. I mind, Yeah. I Look, I was 12 in 1998. <clears throat> so obviously I had like a ranking of my favorites, but she was my number one. Oh, really? Who was two? Scary. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, those are the two. Those are the two favorites. And I Was like, Sporty your least favorite? Yeah, I wasn't really sporty at that time in my life. I mean, I think it's good that they had a sporty Yeah, for those girls who are into that. And I still liked sport. I liked all of them. I loved all of them. I just, you know, yeah. in the one I related to at the time. Was Ginger. Was Ginger. So... These rumors um, were going everywhere. Obviously, they were just friends. According to Jerry, their friendship made a lot of sense. They both had lost a parent, were from the same area in the UK, both had Mediterranean roots, and both were ugly ducklings who blossomed, according to Jerry. She was also very struck by the way George talked about death publicly in regards to his mother and was really drawn to him, even thinking that maybe one day they would get married. Really? Yeah. She recalled giving him his number and being kind of like flirtatious when she handed it to him. Uh, she would later say, wow, how wrong was <laughs> And she said, I got second best. We became friends. So although her departure from the Spice Girls is not announced until May of 98, uh, she, she already knew at the beginning of the year that she would be leaving the Spice Girls. And George invited her to come to L.A. and stay with him and Kenny. She described him as being an absolute angel. They weren't even that close of friends, and he uh, invited her just to give her like cuddles and be with her so because she, she felt very alone at that time. And he was also giving her career advice as well. Um, she says <laughs> in this interview that she had never been friends with someone famous before. Which I think is like a cute way. Because <laughs> to yeah. her, he was still this huge star, right. even though she is herself famous. On April 7th, 1998, George decides to take a break from working at home and heads on down to Will Rogers Memorial Park. This is a small park in Beverly Hills, right across the street from the Beverly Hills Hotel. It has a fish pond, it has rose gardens, and it's not uncommon to see a celebrity there. When he arrived at the park, it's pretty empty. There's just a few people mulling around. What he didn't know was that the local police had received tips that the park was a hotbed of homosexual activity. Who cares? I mean, exactly. This is what our, where our tax dollars are going? <clears throat> Fuck off. It's just so stupid. So, and by the way, there had been two arrests the previous year. Like, that's, that's the hotbed. Get a life. Um, so... Men were basically picking each other up at the park and going into the restrooms and whatever, hooking up. So one of the people in the park that day was an undercover police officer named Marcelo Rodriguez. He was on potty patrol, which is what they called it, basically hanging out in these bathrooms and trying to catch guys uh, hooking up. George noticed this cute guy who followed him into the restroom. He said he was washing his hands and he saw Marcelo kind of lurking about. He said that, in an interview afterwards, they don't send Columbo. They send someone really nice looking to do this job. And that's true. They actually would call them the pretty police, like in the 
cop land or whatever the fuck, they were like, oh, the pretty police are going to catch the gay people. Like that was like what they called them to mock them, I guess. So they just go in like their plain clothes yeah. and, and they're just lurking, yeah. hoping to catch someone. Absolutely. So he basically goes into some, they called it a cubicle in the book. I don't know if it's like maybe a stall that's open or something like that. Goes into that to something like that and is watching George and George notices that he's pleasuring himself. George then does the same. The cop walks out at some point and George is kind of confused. So he leaves the bathroom. Wait a minute. George noticed the cop was pleasuring himself? Yes. So the cop instigated this. Yes. He starts jerking off. Or whatever pleasuring yourself means. That's what that means. Well, couldn't it also just be like kind of like doing, not like necessarily stroking? I'm sorry. Just like fondling it or something. Is that considered pleasuring? <sighs> I don't know what he was doing. That's described as pleasuring himself. So I don't know how far it went. They need to use less technical language. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, the cop at some point leaves and George was like, oh, I guess he got cold feet or whatever. He at that point leaves the bathroom and is immediately arrested when he uh, exits the bathroom. This is such bullshit. In an MTV interview, he said, I got followed into the restroom and then this cop, I didn't know it was a cop, obviously, he started playing this game, which I think is called... I'll show you mine, you show me yours, and then you show me yours, I'm going to nick you. Um, so yeah, if you think this sounds like entrapment, I agree. I agree. Because this is like wrong. It's like, if you're going to do it, which I still think is stupid, you should at least wait for the guy to do something pervy to you, right? Right. Um, this guy started it. Absolutely. So he spends the next few hours at the Beverly Hills police station in his holding cell was a copy of the national Enquirer. He's like, uh, I'm going to be on that cover next week. Uh, definitely. Fuck. So he's under, he's arrested under his real name and charged with lewd behavior. Now this is why the press doesn't get a hold of the story immediately because it's his birth name. Um, but the police eventually do release a statement and they refer to him as Mr. Michaels. That's what they keep calling him throughout the statement. They say they observed him committing a lewd act alone and arrested him. He tells, like, the first initial thing was like, oh, he has a boyfriend. Like, what does the boyfriend think? But Kenny knew he was going to the park for a while. They had, like, an open relationship. He didn't give a shit about it. Um, but he did really worry about telling his dad. So he called his dad, Jack, and Jack surprised him. He stood up for his son, and he told, he told George that he should tell them all to sod off. Yeah. Go, Jack. The tabloid response finally hit. Um, they claimed that Michael, George Michael lured the cop to the restroom. The son had a headline, zip me up before you go, go. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> They're probably really proud of themselves. Uh, and the next day, the park and restroom were swarmed with press. There was like helicopters flying over. I remember this. I remember it was like, I just remember the press... And everyone just seemed to be absolutely melting down. Like this was whatever the highest DEF CON is, one, I think. It was crazy. I mean, people were acting like there was a terrorist attack. Didn't you think it was like something way worse had happened? Yeah. And like when you found out what it was. Well, like I, like I said, like I was 12 in 1998 and I just remember like being so confused that this was such a huge like crisis. Yes. That, that it was so, it just seemed like that everyone was at an absolute, like an 11. Or you even thought it would, like, even if you were like, okay, there was sex, you thought it would be something more graphic. Yeah. Not this, like, whatever this was. Like, uh, anyway. And I also didn't know until 
today the de- like the details of it that the cop entrapped him. Well, which so, is really fucked up. It's it doesn't seem legal. Like fuck that guy. Yeah. So George would say later that it was his subconscious outing him. He said he was depressed at the time, and while he was in the park, he's like, I shouldn't be here. But he just kept ignoring his bad feelings about the situation, and obviously what happened happened. He said if, if he had, it hadn't been that day, it would have probably happened sooner or later. Um, so he, he just had to get out of this depression that he was in, and that's kind of why he was doing these things. Um, he later would say, I thought when that happened, someone is trying to finish me off. Like I cannot be this unlucky. When do I get a fucking break? I, I couldn't believe it had happened. Like, yeah. cause he had just gone through this series of sort of bad things happening to him. No one should have to, I mean, people should be able to come out of the closet on their own terms. Like no one should have to be forcibly publicly outed like that. No. And yeah, it's just, it sucks. So he decided not to hide, though, and that night he went to dinner at Spago's, which was a pretty bold thing because that's a big celebrity. You know, there's paparazzi always there seeing who's coming, so he wasn't hiding. The next day he booked an interview with CNN, deciding to take really control of the press as well. He was nervous but stayed strong, saying, this is as good a time as any. Uh, I want to say that I have no problem with people knowing I'm in a relationship with a man right now. I have not been in a relationship with a woman in almost 10 years. I don't feel any shame. I feel stupid and I feel reckless and weak for allowing my sexuality to be exposed this way, but I don't feel any shame whatsoever. So he said also one of the worst kept secrets in showbiz was now out out in the open and by handling it head on, it really did die down quickly. Like it wasn't a big story for very long. Now, after pleading no contest to the charge, he was fined $800 and sentenced to 80 hours of community service. He was also banned from the park. <laughs> I don't know why that made me laugh. I was like, okay. I like, how do you even monitor that? Because it's not like they have an entrance hey, at the park. George Michael's in the park. Um, at his birthday, which was shortly after the incident, the invitation said, go to the bathroom before you come, as all convenience will be locked to protect the host. So he's having fun with it. When he finally returned to the UK, he appeared on the Michael Parkinson show. This was a long-running talk show that George had never been on but grew up watching. Um, He walked out and received one of the loudest and longest-standing ovations in the show's history. He began his interview um, telling Michael that his mom would let him stay up late to watch the show. And while she would be thrilled that he was finally on it, she might not have been so thrilled that he had to take his willy out to get on it. (laughs) This is a... Really fun interview, and it's available on YouTube if you want to check it out. So he really did a lot of interviews at this time to kind of get it all out. He talked about the 90s being a decade of loss for him with Anselmo and his mother and his dignity. His plan was to exhaust people by talking about it so much that he never had to talk about it again for the most part, and it it did kind of work that way. His last major comment on the whole saga was for his video for the single Outside. Now... I watched this video today. This video is incredible <laughs> because this video, he, this is the one where it's like disco dancing yes. cops in the bathroom. Okay. I laughed so hard when the disco balls came from the, just the gross public bathroom yes. ceiling. And then it turned into like a gay disco. So this satirized the public toilet incident and 
It features a lot of people hooking up in public. It's like outdoor sex, basically. And then it ends with two poli- policemen kissing. I remember this video. <laughs> it's, it's, I think it was a, it was a cute, a cute move. I liked it. And he's dressed as a cop in it. It's very sexy yes. cop. So, you know who didn't like it, the video? Marcelo Rodriguez. Oh, well. He claimed that the video mocked him and that George Michael had slandered him in interviews. In 1999, he brought a $10 million court case in California against George Michael. Uh, The case was dismissed, but then it was reinstalled in 2002. But the court then ruled that Rodriguez, as a public official, could not legally recover damages for emotional distress. Go to hell, Marcelo. Seriously? That, that this is his emotional distress is that he got pwned because he's an idiot. You, no one forced you to be a cop. Yeah. And, and no one forced you to do this. Right. You could have just left people alone and mind your own business. Seriously. That's what happens. You fucked around and you found out. <laughs> <laughs> and he didn't even do anything. He just made a music <clears throat> video about him. And he didn't do anything anyway. This is not a crime that hurts anybody. Yeah. I mean, it's ridiculous. So... That year, he also released Ladies and Gentlemen, The Best of George Michael. This was his first greatest hits collection. This is a success. It's number one on the UK charts, and it spends over 200 weeks on the charts in the UK. So it's a pretty big album. Uh, in 1999, he released his songs for the last century. This is um, an album of cover tracks. This one doesn't do so well. I actually listened to it today. I think it's just the song selection was kind of weird. Yeah. But I did like his cover of The First Time Ever I Saw Your Face. I thought it was pretty good. He closed out the decade with a good sense of humor and the drive to continue on. He said, I quite like the fact that I'm the last person anyone expected to do it. But being humiliated so badly in the press was a good starting point for me to be honest. It gave me the guts to do it. But now I see it as a mission to say, look. I know you like me, I know you like my music, but the en- at the end of the day, I'm gay and I'm a slut. Good for you. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's a statement <laughs> that we should all live by. <laughs> that's a statement that Desi and I heartily endorse. <laughs> yeah, it's great. So he basically lays low as the new century rolls around. He does make news for buying the upright piano that John Lennon used to write Imagine. He beats out Noel Gallagher and Robbie Williams to win this. I bet Noel was mad. Oh, yeah. He spent 1.45 million pounds. I don't know what that is. Is that like... That's like $2 million. $2 million, right? So in 2002, he finally uh, gets through this writer's block. He had had like some mild writer's block. Um, he writes a song about futuristic sex called Freak, and he spends $1 million on on the video. A lot of people... We're incorporating like robots into their videos in the nine in the late I mean the early two thousands. Yeah, it was a big. It kind of this video. I didn't watch the whole thing because obviously I'm working, but it kind of had the vibe of like remember Scream, with Michael like, Jackson. Yeah, the Janet, Janet Jackson, Jackson where they're in like space. It just has that look, the sleek metal. At the time, I think that was the most expensive music video ever made. There was like documentaries about it all yeah. the time on MTV, but. But yeah, but like during the millennium, everyone was like, we got to, we got to do We're the future. We're doing a futuristic theme. Like you have like Janet Jackson and the little robot dog in that song. I think it was All For You. Right. Yeah. And then you have like the Backstreet Boys Larger Than Life video with like- Yes. They're robots in space. What was the one Liquid Dreams? (laughs) Sorry. 
That was that was the lowest has, budget futuristic video I've ever like seen. It had like the metallic semen. It was metallic cum swirling around the boys from O Town in the Liquid Dreams video. Um, That's like the the poor man. Did we like? What did we talk about that in? We talked about that in our Ron Perlman episode. Ron Perlman, Lou Perlman, Lou Perlman. Okay, like, Wait, oh Ron? no, I'm not. I was like, wait, Ron, Ron, not Ron Perlman. <laughs> wait, oh my god. Wait, we like Ron Perlman. Yes, we like Ron Perlman. Okay, no, <laughs> Lou Perlman. Yes, Lou Perlman. Very different men. Very different. Uh, he also released um, his anti-war music video for "Shoot the Dog." This is like a animated video that mocks Tony Blair and his sycophancy towards George W. Bush. In in the video, it has a lot of imagery, but the thing that really pissed people off was Bush throwing a ball to Tony Blair and saying, good puppy. <laughs> He's very anti-war, yeah. and he uh, made no bones about it. He took a lot of shit for his anti-war stance, because that's the that was the vibe then. Like, you oh. are not allowed to say anything. We all remember the Dixie Chicks. He also suffered those consequences. People were fucking pissed. But he was right, babes. He was right. And you know what? Madonna also got into a lot of trouble for her American Life video. She had, oh, to, right. she had to change it. She had to change the video. You can right. see the original video on YouTube, but she had to change it because it was so blatantly anti-war. It was well, a nuts time. He responded to criticism saying, I'm British, I live here, I pay my taxes, and I'm very, very worried that we are now the second most dangerous country in the world thanks to our special relationship with America. So, like I said, it did hurt his career, but he luckily is very rich and could do what he wanted. He had that level. And he also didn't fucking care. Like, yeah. he, he could take it or leave it. Like, he was, he was fine leaving his career. He was frustrated knowing that a lot of people agreed with him, but were um, only too happy to bash him in public for fear that they would also be back um, blackballed. So now it had been seven years without an album of new material other than the covers and the um, greatest hits. And he was kind of like not a media darling at this point. He's like, he said that he had suffered a lot from the press uh, and that the subtext, subtext of their feelings um, towards him could be summed up as basically... Well, he was all right before he came out, and now he lives this depraved gay life, and he's miserable and fat, right? Um, that's his quote. Uh, and he said they claimed that they didn't like... He said that he, what they didn't like was his honesty, the fact that he was a gay man, and that politically he wasn't afraid to risk his career in terms of speaking up his mind, and that made him stand out like a sore thumb at the time. Uh, he was going to need a heck of a comeback album to shut up his haters, and that's what he began working on. His fifth studio album, Patience, was released in 2004, and it was critically acclaimed, went to number one on the UK charts, uh, and was also uh, successful in the US as well. Now, he definitely had a little more falling out in the US than he did in the UK uh, over his anti-war stance. Um, so because it had been so long since his last album, he did agree to do the press stuff that he kind of had rejected in the past. And part of that was because he really had put his heart and soul into this album and wanted people to hear it, especially after the turmoil of the last few years. He said he just didn't have energy, the same energy you could hear on Freedom 90 until this year. He said um, the song Amazing reminds him of Wham! more than anything he had ever done at that point, and that's because he felt good again. So the energy he had in the early days was back. Uh, much of this album was written on the John Lennon piano. 
Now, during the patient's tour, he also had a documentary crew following him. At some point, he becomes frustrated with how it was going, and he bought all of the footage and wanted to finish it himself. Now, if you thought it was because he wanted to make a fawning look at pop star George Michael, you would be wrong. The film is titled A Different Story. I think you can get it on YouTube. And he includes his detractors in this documentary. So it isn't just this puff piece, including Noel Gallagher, who is quoted in the documentary as saying, this is the guy who hid who he was from the world from the world for 20 years. And now all of a sudden he's got something to say about the way of the world. I find it fucking laughable. Okay. That's, <laughs> there's a lot of things wrong about that statement. I don't, I'm not even going to go into them. No. Uh, but he left that in. I mean, he let him, he let him say it. Uh, Andrew Ridgely also makes an appearance in, in the film talking about their wham days. And at some point George is asked whose life he would have preferred to live his or Ridgely's and he says Andrew Ridgely's and it was sort of a sad and poignant moment so this is where we'll take a break and we'll get into all the other stuff hey I'm Ryan Reynolds recently I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation they said yes and then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous to your contracts they said what the f- are you talking about you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from thirty dollars a month to just fifteen dollars a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. Forty five dollars up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited, more than forty gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm the queen of starting a free trial offer and forgetting to cancel it. Oftentimes, being charged for months for something I'm not even using. If I asked you how many subscriptions you have, would you be able to list all of them and how much you're paying? If you would have asked me this question before I started using Rocket Money, I would have said yes, but let me tell you, I would have been so wrong. I can't believe how many I had and all the money I was wasting. With Rocket Money, I can see all of my subscriptions in one place, and if I see something I don't want, I can cancel it with a tap. I never have to get on the phone with customer service. They'll even try to get you a refund for the last couple of months of wasted money and negotiate to lower your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is take a picture of your bill, and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. It's definitely saved me money and now I can use that money to waste on things I do want. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. That's rocketmoney.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. So... Just the album was a success, but his legal woes were only just beginning. In February of 2006, he was arrested for possession of Class C drugs. This was an incident that he described as my own stupid fault, as usual. He was cautioned by the police and released. He also bumped a parked car trying to leave a space on a steep hill. He left the scene and sent someone back to get the information. But by the time that happened, the press had already um, labeled it a hit and run. So this very minor um, incident turned into like national news uh, or in, in his country. Next, he was arrested after falling asleep at the wheel at a traffic light. 
Now, he jokingly told Michael Parkinson that it's like, oh, you know that light, wherever it was. That's like a long light. It's very easy to fall asleep there. He said he probably was only asleep for a moment, but he woke up to the police banging on his window. He was breathalyzed and passed, but he says the cops once again turned this sort of into an international incident, and it was just an embarrassing uh, thing. Now, people began to question his self-destructive streak, especially knowing how the press was hounding him, that he kept doing these things, uh, he was going to get caught. Like, he was not, these were not going to be hidden. Uh, so in July of 2006, he is snapped, a picture is snapped of him cruising by the, the tabloid newspaper, The News of the World. The headline screamed, George's sex shame. And the papers basically had investigators, in quotes, obviously, uh, in the park, like looking for him in particular to bust him because this is a very well-known uh, cruising area. And the story was that they printed was um, that they had caught the singer red-handed and red-faced as he emerged from the bushes after convort- cavorting with a pot-bellied 58-year-old jobless van driver. That guy's probably like, hey, <laughs> yeah, I feel bad for that guy. So this was at London's Hampstead Heath, Hampstead Heath, which is like a huge um, park. Uh, he actually confronts the photographer who snaps his pics, and, and he says, are you gay? No? Then fuck off. This is my culture. <laughs> Sorry. I don't know why that made me laugh. Um, I'm not doing anything illegal. The police don't even come up here anymore. I'm a free man. I can do whatever I want, and I'm not harming anyone. So he stated that his cruising for anonymous sex was not an issue in his relationship once again, and no one knew exactly what the story was. This is literally just harassing him at this point, the tabloids, like kind of trying to track him down this way. Um, And this guy who supposedly he was with uh, sold the story too. Well, now I don't like him. No, he sucks. So they also got a quote from a close friend, supposedly, at this time, who said they were very concerned because he was a heavy cannabis user, and we're beginning beginning to fear that pot may have affected his mind. So now an additional story is that George Michael is losing his mind to drugs. The next tabloid story that he had to deal with was labeled, um, gay lover tells George the wedding is off. Like So all of this stuff just escalated into this insanity. Now, George goes on a show at this point called Richard, The Richard and Judy Show. It's like a talk show, like a fun talk show. And he says the tabloids were basically trying to turn him into the gay Wayne Rudy. And look at this guy, because <laughs> I was like, who's Wayne Rudy, Rooney? <laughs> He's a football player who I think had a lot of um, cheating scandals. Yeah. So that's his, uh, that's his case. And I think this is very funny that he said this. <laughs> I wouldn't know. Now, he also (laughs) denied the man that was claiming to be his lover. He said, that guy's a liar. And he said, as much as I don't want to be ageist or fattest. Fattest? It's dark up there, but not that dark. Oh, my God. (laughs) Jesus. Look, I mean, you can't blame him. The guy did sell a story trying to, like, bring him down. Um, the hosts were in tears uh, laughing at George's <laughs> antics. He was very funny on this uh, interview show. I know, fat, I was like, fattest? So I guess we changed the word, um, like body shaming or whatever. He also got into a falling out with Elton John, who had dissed his album Patience. George wrote an open letter, <gasps> and he said that basically John was dragging him for... Pl- um, uh, the reason John was coming after him is like, well, you're the one who was like 
just playing old classics all the time oh. and you're, you're not able to relate to an artist who's ch- still trying to create new things. Oh. Now they made up due to the peacemaking efforts of Gordon Ramsay. Stop it. <laughs> yeah. Stop it. He made a dinner for them and they both showed up and like made, made peace. Did Gordon, did Gordon serve them like, I couldn't find what they ate. Peppercorn steak. Yeah. And he says, come on. Come on. Make up. Come on. Come on. (laughs) This is ridiculous. I like to think of him as a peacemaker. This is raw. (laughs) Their feelings are raw. Your feelings are raw. (laughs) So um, he did start uh, in 2006. He started his 25 live tour. This is a huge success. Um, People were left the arenas wondering why he hadn't been touring for 18 years. That's how phenomenal this show was. He ends 2006 by doing a concert for NHS workers as a thank you for caring for his mother during her final days. And this also brings the house down. Uh, people are just like loving it, especially this moment where it's snow falls inside during last Christmas. Aww. So it was like this very uh, special thing. The, uh, he makes some TV appearances starting in 2007. Um, he, he's like smoking a lot of pot. By the way, like he willingly, he says he smokes like 25 joints a day. Jesus. Like when he cuts down, he's like, I'm only smoking nine now. Wow. Like that's, so he does smoke a lot of pot. Um, he, he's also, he does get arrested for the possession of cannabis at some point in early 2007. And when his blood is tested, in addition to the pot and prescription drugs as well, he has traces of GHB. Now... Do you know GHB? Yeah. So that's like a... It's a party drug. It's like a party drug. Uh, You would take it at a rave, right? Yeah. Like that kind of stuff. So this will become a long-running tabloid story story connected to one of his long-term side pieces, a sex worker named Paul Staggs, who is also his drug connection. And he'll later sell his story to the tabloids, including all of his texts to George Michael. Like you can read them in the uh, tabloids. A lot of people end up selling their story about George, which is very sad. In 2007, he pleads guilty to drug-impaired driving and obstructing the road at a traffic light. That's that thing where he fell asleep. Um, And he's banned from driving for two years and sentenced to community service. His court day is the day before the biggest gig of his life, a solo show at Wembley Stadium. Um, So he's relieved he doesn't have to go to jail because he wouldn't have been able to do that show. So he gets out of that. Um, and after that, he's literally scrubbing floors at St. Mungo Hospital for the Homeless in London. Uh, he says the difficulty um, is changing and growing as a person while still holding on to what originally made you appealing. And I think he still does at this point. Like People still love seeing him, and he's just struggling. He also makes a, an appearance on a show called Desert Island Discs. This is a show where a celebrity guest comes on and picks their must-have recordings if they're stranded on a desert island. They discuss their life and the reasons for their picks, which can be often very poignant. Um, So George is especially um, effective when he speaks of Amy Winehouse, who is one of his picks, and he considers her the best female vocalist he's heard since he began his career in music. Uh, She's obviously already having a very public struggle with an addiction to drugs and alcohol, and he says something to her on the show that has something that's probably been said to him many times in his life. Please, please understand how brilliant you are. Like he's, uh, he's like putting out this word to her, like 
come on, like we need you. Yeah. Um, so the host is a woman named Kirsty Young. At some point, she asks him if he thinks he has a drug problem, and he kind of hems and haws, and eventually saying no because he's one of those people who it's like I'm not like that bad, right? You know, it's a classic. Yeah, it's a classic thing, and that continues being an issue for him. In December of 2007, he plays himself on the TV show Extra. Extras. There's like a Ricky Gervais show, and he spoofs his cruising in uh, Hampstead Heath on that show. Um, now, <laughs> I completely had forgotten about this. He's this this uh, TV writer, producer Greg Berlanti is a huge fan of George Michael. He begins working on a pilot called Eli Stone. In the pilot, the lead character uh, is suffering from a brain aneurysm, and he starts having visions of George Michael, who's kind of his guardian angel. The pilot gets picked up, but he's like, well, I don't know if I can get George Michael to do this because he just wrote it in the pilot. Right. And George Michael agrees to it. Uh, so each episode in season one is titled after a George Michael song. He even a- appears in the I Want Your Sex um, titled episode about him trying to find legal counsel for a girl who got kicked out of school for um, doing a number to I Want Your Sex during the abstinence club, <laughs> club or something <laughs> like that. Um and he records a version of Feeling Good, the song that's classically, like the famous version that Nina Simone uh, sings. Anyway, I completely had forgotten about that, and you can probably find it online. Now, he also appeared on the 2008 finale show of American Idol. Do you remember that? I Well, <clears throat> I must. I mean, I, that's the era I was addicted to American Idol. Yeah. So. I, he's, he sang Praying for Time. Didn't they do a George Michael night? Is that why he appeared? I I can't remember, but he, um, he sang a song and when he said that Simon Cowell would say of his performance, uh, someone asked him what he thought Simon Cowell would say of his performance. He said, I think he'll probably tell me I should have done a George Michael song because that's <laughs> what he used to say to people when they picked bad songs Yeah, because like, I think Simon's a huge fan. On September 19th of 2008, he is arrested in another public restroom in Hampstead Heath for um, actually possession of Class A and C drugs. He's taken to the police station. And by this point, his arrest doesn't even make news. Really? Uh, based, yeah, it's like nothing. He's, he actually apologizes to his fans, not so much for being caught, but he, according to him, for just being so fucking boring. He's, <laughs> like, he's like, this is just boring at this point. Um. So, of course, more conservative people are angry because they're like, why does he just keep getting off for all these drug charges? They want something to happen. And one conservative tabloid um, compares him to, quote, sleazy Kate Moss, also always. I was like, when has Kate Moss ever been called sleazy? (laughs) Right? (laughs) Yeah. So I guess they're just fed up with these stars getting off on their drug charges or whatever. Now, um, in the past, you know, he's obviously been eviscerated by the press. He could always point to his relationship with Kenny Goss as proof that he had a stable life. Um, But even that was going off the rails at this point. Goss was fed up with George's drug use, and George would do the classic thing where he promised he would quit, and then Kenny would find a stash and flush it down the toilet. Uh, And that was just where they were at. At some point, Kenny gets addicted to alcohol, and George insists that he goes to rehab. (laughs) So Kenny goes to rehab. George told us not. This relationship finally kind of ends in 2008, although they are still sort of together in the public eye for two more years due to all of their financial ties, including this art foundation that they had started together. Now, George would 
lament the loss of his horny cowboy for the rest of his days. That's how he referred to Kenny. Professionally, not much is going on. Unfortunately, 2009 would be remembered for another car accident just three months after his driving band ended. He rear-ended a truck and seemed to throw a small bottle of something over a fence when police arrived. Uh, He wasn't charged with anything, but the tabloids had a field day writing headlines like, George Michael shunts trucker in the rear. Come on. <laughs> the tabloids in the UK they're are wild. wild. Look, our tabloids are bad, but they're completely out of pocket in Britain. Yeah. Like I, it's wild. It's shocking. And it's like mean. Like it yeah, is they're, like <laughs> they're blatantly mean. It's yeah. Their headlines are next. They make the New York <laughs> Post look like the New York Times. Yeah, the New York Post is child's play compared right. to what they uh, do in the UK. So he ended the year by doing a very personal interview with Simon Hattonstone from The Guardian. And he was struck by how troubled he found George, but also this side of him, you know, that's still charming and vulnerable and sweet, but he's clearly in the throes of addiction, like, and not admitting it. He asked Michael, George Michael, at some point, what he thought about Bono and Elton John wanting to basically have an intervention for him. And he dismissed it, saying, Bono doesn't give a fuck about me and what I do. And Elton should worry about himself. Now, (laughs) he also told Simon that he drew up his will recently in case one of his mishaps ended up killing him, saying he would die contented knowing how much beautiful work he left behind, adding uh, his ego is sated. So he, at this point, is fine with whatever happens. I mean, yeah. In the early hours of July 4th, 2010, he is returning from a gay pride parade when he is spotted on CCTV crashing his car into the front of a Snappy Snap store in North London. What is a Snappy Snap store? I looked it up. It is a photography, like, development store or something. Snappy Snap. I was hoping it was something more like, we sell shirts with snaps or something. (laughs) I was like, I wanted it to be something more British, like British, you know, like a weird, but no, it's, it was it's just a, a photography. Oh, snappy snaps. You're snapping yes, pictures. Does he? Okay. Did I got you, it. I'm I just s- got it. <laughs> <clears throat> <laughs> now he was arrested on suspicion of being unfit to drive. Uh, this was his seventh. Suspicion. I know. This was his seventh <laughs> arrest in 12 years. In the dent in the shop wall that Michael had crashed into, someone graffitied the word wham. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> That's good. That's yeah. good. Now, on August 12th, uh, he is charged with possession of cannabis, uh, with driving while unfit through dr- drink and drugs. He also had been taking a prescription antidepressant as well as GHB. On August 24th, uh, 2010, he pleads guilty uh, to driving under the influence of drugs. And on September 14th, he is sentenced to eight weeks in prison, a fine, and a five-year ban from driving. He he spends four weeks in prison for this. I completely had, I had no memory of him spending time in jail. Yeah, I don't remember this at all. In a radio interview, he said, by the time I went to court, I knew this wasn't going to happen again. I knew I was going to lose my license. I was assured by people I wasn't going to prison, but I thought I was. And like I said, it was much easier to take because it felt like I deserved it. Uh, This was a hugely shameful thing to have done repeatedly. So karmically, I felt like I had to pay a bill. I went to prison. I paid my bill. In 2011, he got Twitter. 
and was an amazing follow, apparently, even though I didn't follow him. I wasn't really on Twitter then. Uh, but looking at what he was tweeting, I'm, I'm mad yeah. that I wasn't. <laughs> so he would basically get high and tweet like, all day long, <laughs> like me. And basically everything you want a celebrity Twitter account to be, a little bit of a messy bitch who loves drama. And that's right. what he used Twitter for. So in 2011, he begins his Symphonica live tour rehearsals. It's during this period he meets a Lebanese hairdresser named Fadi Fawaz, and they begin a relationship. Now, according to this book, Fadi is his type. He's described as, quote, swarthy, bearded, muscular. Uh, Adding to his peel for George was that he um, had a background as an adult film actor. So he liked that, uh, too. It was, like, hot. So George quickly gives him a credit card so he no longer has to work and could be there for George whenever uh, George needed him. And George liked having this arm candy. He would tweet beefcake pics of Fadi with horny captions. I love it. I know. I love it. So in the summer of 2011, he opens the tour at Prague State Opera House. It is a somber, riveting uh, event. He ends the shows by eulogizing those he lost. In fact, he eulogizes Amy Winehouse, who died on July 23rd of that year, singing one of her darkest songs, Love is a Losing Game. Now, audiences loved it. Critics were kind of like, this is depressing. Like, bring back George from Wham. Yeah, it's fucking sad. (laughs) Yeah, but But that's who he is. Why shouldn't he give a nice tribute to her? Right. And his pot and GHB use continue to escalate. um, And those are both depressants, like, uh, for sure. So this tour is grueling. Uh, He gets run down very fast because this is a bad combination. I mean, you need to be in great shape and have a lot of stamina to go on one of these world tours. And he is just not doing well. On October 26th of 2011, he cancels his performance at Royal Albert Hall due to a viral infection. November 21st, he's admitted to Vienna General Hospital after he complains of chest pains while at a hotel. Um, He appears to be in good spirits and is responding well to treatment following his admittance but on November 25th, they say his, con- his condition worsened overnight. Now, obviously, he cancels and postpones all of the remaining shows for 2011, and it is confirmed that he is suffering from pneumonia. On December 1st, he is in intensive care, and he is put into a medically induced coma and given a tracheotomy. Wow. So it's a pretty uh, serious um, illness that he's going through. Obviously, it, when it leaks that he has pneumonia, the tabloids run with that, saying that he has HIV. He's HIV positive. Um, so on December 21st, he is discharged from the hospital. He tells the press that the staff at the hospital saved his life, and he will eventually perform a free concert for them. After waking from his coma, he had a temporary West Country accent. So he had like a foreign accent syndrome. And apparently this West Country accent, I looked it up. Please, if I'm wrong, this is not my brain. It's what I read. It's kind of like the country bumpkin of the UK. (laughs) That's like the accent that it is. I don't even know what that would sound like, but I'm curious. That is so funny. So he eventually returns home. There's a brief truce with the press who watch a gaunt and very weak George return home for Christmas. He thanks everyone for their well wishes. And that day he tweets... Hey, everyone, your favorite homo is home. 
So, I, I mean, I like George Michael because it's like, no matter what, he's like, I'm making a joke. Right. I'm fucking almost <laughs> dying. Like, I'm still going to be funny. Yeah. Uh, very relatable. He has an amazing Christmas, but his light mood is soon darkened. Um, he's extremely anxious because he has been told he needs to give up marijuana. And he has relied on this as a crutch for a very long time. He also is dealing with a new online hater, the Christians from Moral America. I mean, you can tell that sounds like an awful group. So they're tweeting at him. They're praying for his demise. They're saying that he's satanic. He has AIDS. Another sodomite bites the dust. And he retweets their tweets. And he says, these people are total cocksucking bastards and not in the good way. So I guess he's kind of having fun with it. But it's still awful. Right. And he's not well. He's at home. He's recovering. He's bored. And he's depressed. On February 12th, 2012, he is watching TV and sees the news of Whitney Houston's death. And that really fucking scared him. Uh, He does not want to end up that way. And it pushes him back into writing music again. So in September, the Symphonica tour is back on. But this is short-lived as well. The pneumonia has basically made him unable to like really breathe well. So you can't sing if you don't have a strong breathing support. Uh, So this tour goes nowhere. Um, Now he's back in this dark place. The album that he was writing, that he kind of got inspired, is going nowhere. And he's just sort of back in his funk. Um, His driving ban is also really affecting him, as you might recall um, from maybe the first episode. Getting his license gave him the sense of freedom during the Wham! days. And now he's all but trapped at home where he is rumored to be having these long, days-long drug binges with hired sex workers, including his longtime lover, uh, Paul Staggs, who is also the person supplying him with liquid G, GHB, that comes in these bottles. And it's also rumored during this period he began smoking uh, crystal meth. Oh, shit. So... On May 16th, 2013, he sustains a head injury when he falls from his moving car on the freeway. (gasps) Now, this is a very weird story. He literally tumbles out of his car into traffic, rolling across lanes of traffic. Cars have to slam their brakes on to avoid hitting him. I have a question. Yeah. How fast was he going? It didn't say, but it's like... He's on a freeway. I know, but like, was there a lot of traffic? Was it <laughs> I, slow? I think it must be kind of slower because it was, he survived and he wasn't severely injured, right? And people were able to stop. Right. So yeah, I didn't say how fast he was going. That's um, scary, regardless. Well, and it's a weird story because he, his version is that the door opened while they're driving and he went to shut it and fell out because he wasn't wearing his seatbelt. He wasn't driving though. No, he's in the past, like the back seat behind the driver. Okay. Um, But the type of car they were driving, I think it's a Range Rover. They have like an electronic system where the doors won't open while the car is moving. So it doesn't make sense that the car door would have opened unless maybe he opened it. Right. So... Um, his boyfriend or whatever, Fadi, later says that he believes George was trying to kill himself. Oh, my God. Uh, He said that he asked George uh, if he was happy that the injuries weren't more severe, and George said no. That's according to Fadi. So by the end of 20... (laughs) 
sorry, 13, he shuts down his website, but promises big things for 2014, including the release of the album Symphonica that he's basically been working on for years. Um, This does debut at number one in the UK, um, but his panic attacks start getting way worse. On May 30th of that year, he is found in his bathtub unconscious from a GHB overdose, which is his worst fear after seeing the Whitney Houston story. Like he did not want that to happen to him. And I think deep down, he kind of is like, that could happen to me. Right. With the life I'm living right now. At this point, um, at this point, friends are begging him to go to rehab. And he does finally agree to go to a place called Kusnacht Practice in Switzerland. This is a $130,000 a week five-star resort rehab. A week? Yes. A week? Yes. Now, when I say resort, I mean it. Every guest has their own butler. Like they have home, like every meal is like a five-star restaurant type deal. Like it is a posh fucking place. So part of the reason he agrees to go here is because he wants to work with a clinician who is there named David Smallwood. His expertise is gay-related depression rooted in childhood. I don't know enough about this topic at all. I don't know anything about this topic, but the basic idea is that this guy's theory or his work is that involves that the fact that gay men have a lot of unresolved anger growing up in a world that sees being gay as unacceptable or as something that makes you unlovable. And that leads to them overcompensating to get love and acceptance when they're older, which makes them very bitter and depressed because they don't feel like they should have to work that hard to get love and acceptance. So that's like an interesting idea. And it's very sad too, because it does seem to fit George and the fact that he was so interested in, in working in that uh, is just sad to me that he would feel that way or that anyone feels that way. So they try to keep George George's stay there a secret, but Jackie, the wife of his cousin Andros, who I've mentioned in the past episodes, tells the son that George is a crack addict. What a bitch. And uh, yeah, and that he's in rehab for that. Oh my God. Now, I think George had tried crack or done crack in his life. But, but don't blow up his spot. I mean, yeah. I mean, besides that, it's not even true. He actually tweets from rehab. Like, that's when you know. <laughs> he I, tweets from rehab calling her a liar and saying he hadn't seen her in decades. And then he signs off the singing Greek. Yeah. So he's like, I, look, I'm in rehab, but I still got my access to Twitter. <laughs> that, that This is a luxury place. <laughs> yeah. Because when I went to rehab, either of the, I've been to two rehabs, Neither of them, you're, you're not allowed to have any kind of phones, computers. Right. I was one, I was like, hey, you can have Twitter. No, not, I mean, this sounds like some next level shit, but I've, I've been to like a nice place and I've been to a not nice place. Yeah. Thank God for the not nice place. Cause that. Well, I think he needed a not nice place. Yeah. To be honest. There's, I mean, there's no distractions. So, but even, I'm just saying, yeah. even, even at the nice places, they don't let you have a cell phone in there. Yeah. Well, he he does eventually leave um, rehab. He's drained emotionally. And although he has a ton of money, he is hemorrhaging money at this point because he's not really bringing anything in anymore. Uh, and this rehab costs a lot of money. I think he spent over like almost $2 million oh during his stay there. Because it was a long time. So obviously he's like, he could go on tour and earn more money, but he physically cannot go on tour. Right. And he's not putting out an album as well. 
So he begins isolating. A friend of his who is an ex-addict uh, sees this as a major warning sign. And he, he said that the opposite of addiction is connection. So when you go deep inside of yourself, it's never ending. And I think he just could not climb his way out. Uh, adding to his health issues is that he has been diagnosed with fatty liver disease. Now, this is a disorder. I actually know someone who has this, and they have to maintain a very strict diet as well as have no alcohol. Um, and I'm imagining GHB and stuff like that. It's probably not great either because your liver can't process that stuff. Right. Um, so GHB also leads people to binge eat, apparently, and uh, George starts binge eating a lot. So he has dieted a lot throughout his life. Um, and he finally just lets that slide and starts indulging in a lot of rich foods and he gains weight. So unlike in the past at this point, he just doesn't care. And I just want to clarify, I'm not judging weight gain or eating a lot of good food. I like all of those things, but he's not in a good, good way right now. Like yeah. he is very unhealthy. People see him and are like, he looks like bloated from alcohol um, as well. And he's, he, he just can't live this lifestyle with this disorder that he has with his liver, so it's not good. And um, he actually goes out, uh, a paparazzi take pictures of him eating pasta. Oh, and they're After mean this, to him. They're very mean to him. They post these pictures where he, you know, has gained a little weight, uh, and they humiliate him. So he becomes even more of a recluse after this because he doesn't want to be photographed uh, and mocked. Right. So he does begin working on a documentary about his life called Freedom. That is the one that I talked about that came out last week, like a recut version. And this definitely gives him a little bit of a purpose. He only does the narration because he didn't want to be seen on camera. Mm. Um, and he calls his old friend from Desert Island Disc, Kirsty Young, to help him because he feels very stiff in these voiceovers. And he feels like if she kind of interviews him for the narration, it will loosen things up. And it's a, it becomes a very revealing interview. George, um, he, he's speaking about how he never felt attractive. Uh, and while he's speaking about this, he sees images of himself in 20s. And he, at some point he says, my God, you were gorgeous, which is just really sad because it's like he didn't see it. Right. And now he's looking back on that, realizing that he wasted all that time hating himself. Right. Um, it's just awful. But perhaps the most heartbreaking segment was when George spoke about why pop stars seem to die so young. Most recently, Prince had died in April of that year. And Kirstie was really struck by how he spoke of them, Prince, Michael Jackson, as if he wasn't part of that group. He put himself with Madonna like they were the same ones who were able to overcome all of these issues that a lot of people, um, that befall a lot of these other pop stars. And he said... He had battles, but nothing too extreme. Now, Kirstie would later say that she felt like it's a classic example about of how we minimize our own worst behaviors because it's the only way we can deal with them. Other people are alcoholics or drug addicts. And in her opinion, George was a high-functioning addict. Because he wasn't in the gutter, he convinced himself um, that the story he told himself was true. Yeah, He's not one of them. I- I mean, yeah, I mean, I'd have to tell you, we've seen it a lot. I've personally seen it a lot. I've made that, I made that excuse myself before things got to the gutter, but it's, it's a very common thing as an alcoholic or drug addict to, to compare yourself and say, well, I'm not that bad. 
Yeah. Well, I'm you can always find someone worse too. Always. That doesn't matter. That doesn't mean you're not also. I mean, someone there, else could look at you and think that's worse. Yeah. There's a saying. It's like I don't even know how to say this, but it's basically like you know, rock bottom has a trap door. Yeah. So his final comment to her was a bit more hopeful. He told her when he finished this down period, he was convinced it would result in something spectacular. And he added, the best is yet to come. But by year's end, he would be dead. So the night of December 23rd is the last night anyone in Michael George Michael's life sees him outside of uh, Fadi, his boyfriend, uh, who I'm not even sure if he's still the boyfriend, because many people who know George think that they had split months before. So from the night of December 23rd until Christmas morning, the only person who has been with him is Fadi. What happened those last few days is really unclear. Fadi spoke of a fight between the pair where they basically kept to themselves inside the house and not seeing each other for those few days. He also claims um, that at some point they got into a fight Christmas Eve and that he slept in the car. So his story has a lot of inconsistencies and changing. I'm not changes. I'm not saying I don't think anyone thinks he did anything. It's just he's all over the place with his story. He claims he woke up Christmas morning, went into George's room and saw him sleeping. The curtains were drawn, which was common with George. He had like blackout curtains. A fan was blowing on him and he was unmoving. When he touched George, George was cold and his fingers he noticed were blue. He started shaking him to wake up, but realized he was dead. Now, he did not call 999, which is the 911 there. He claimed he tried to revive George for over an hour. Wow. Uh, He then called friends, and they were like, call 999. Like, why are you calling us? Right. He finally did, and the transcript, transcript was released. When asked if the person was alive, he responded, Nah, it's George Michael. He's in bed, dead. Like, this transcript is awful. He just sounds like the world's most bored, annoyed person ever. Like, this is a huge inconvenience for him. It's very weird. So the news quickly breaks worldwide. Uh, George Michael, at the age of 53, had died alone on Christmas. Adding to the sadness was the fact that his 21-year-old self is heard everywhere this time of year singing about Mm. his broken heart. Fans immediately start gathering outside his home. One person hangs a Choose Life t-shirt on the door. And while the world was shocked for those closest to him, it was devastating, but not exactly unexpected. One of his friends commented that the last 15 years seemed like he was trying to punish himself. Andrew Ridgely tweeted that he was heartbroken over the loss of his beloved friend, Yog. In March of 2017, the coroner attributed his death to dilated cardiomyopathy with myocarditis and fatty liver disease. So there's a lot of speculation that we did not get the full story here. The toxicology report uh, was never released at the request of the family, so obviously people are going to speculate. I mean, I think it's clear whatever you think, his lifestyle led up to this moment where those things maybe were overtaxed. His body like couldn't keep up, right? Like, right. So I don't think it has to be an overdose to maybe have alcohol and drugs have contributed to the health he was in right. at the end. But I don't know. Um, Fadi does a tweet storm uh, that indicated George took his own life. So he starts going off on Twitter, Fadi, 
uh, he's awful. So the family begins this battle with Fadi, who's basically now a squatter in the house and is like hell bent on destroying these people's lives because he wants money. Wow. He refuses to leave the house. Um, he goes on, tw- he takes to Twitter complaining anytime the family does anything, like his credit cards, I think, get canceled at some point. Point. He starts selling George's items. Like he's <gasps> like, like he has like auctions and just like garage sale kind of stuff. Like, hey, does anyone want to buy this uh, just to get money? He makes a plea to all the tabloids saying that he is willing to write a tell all book if they cough up money. So he like puts the word out. Pictures and stories begin to surface of Fadi. Like, there's you can look them up online, but it's like he's literally like drinking beer on the balcony and breaking things, busting windows out, destroying the house. And he's like on the roof, sometimes throwing things off the roof and breaking them. At some point, the fire and police are called by the neighbors because he's like a nuisance. Like there's like all this shit happening at the house nonstop. They enter the home and it is literally destroyed from top to bottom. Oh. Every light fixture it's broken. Every toilet has been smashed in with like a sledgehammer. Every wall is like, it is like destroyed. And now his family has to deal with that. Luckily, he gets arrested for criminal damage. And while he's gone, the family is finally able to change the locks and like get him out of there. Then he really goes on a rampage of destruction, though. He tweets that George was HIV positive when he died. Uh, There is no evidence of that. That's just him saying it. He says he didn't write his own songs. He hired someone to write his songs and took credit for it. He says, he also tweets, and he was extremely boring in bed. So he's just like throwing everything at the kid, you know. What is wrong with this guy? He's a nightmare. So during all of this that the family is dealing with, uh, and this goes on for a long time, on Christmas Day, three years after George died, his sister Melanie dies. Mm. So the family is just going through it. Uh, like the dad is still alive. So this is the second child he's lost in three years. Um, Fadi, he continues vandalizing, not George's house, but he busts cars on the street and gets arrested numerous times for this vandalism. And in 2020, I don't know if he where he declares this, if he tweets it or what. He says, I will revenge to the last breath of my life. And no, I won't get a job. <laughs> Just like, uh, okay. Sir, please. So even in death, it seems like George can just not find peace. Like yeah. this shit is just still crazy. In his final interview with Kirsty Young, uh, George spoke about his trademark sunglasses, saying that he thought the sunglasses were the first sign that my place in life had become a heavy thing for me to carry. He spoke of how he longed for one special person to make him feel complete and how the battle for self-love had been his toughest. He said at the peak of Faith's success, he was adored by millions, but he could never work out why. But let's end on Andrew Ridgely's tribute to George at the Brit Awards, which happened just over a month after George's death. Andrew said, George has left for us in his songs and the transcendental beauty of his voice and in the poetic expression of his soul, the very best of himself. I loved him, and in turn, we, you, have been loved. Oh. That's sad. <laughs> his beloved friend till the end. Yeah, and Pepsi and Shirley were there too. Oh. 
It was really, uh, they were in tears. I mean, it was so soon after. I was so sad when he died. I was devastated. I forgot that it was the same year David Bowie and Prince died. Like, it was just like from the beginning to the end, just awful. A lot of really beloved celebrities died in 2016. Um, But I do remember that Christmas and it was like... It was shocking. It was like, this is the worst Christmas ever. Yeah. And I think, I think like... Bowie, like those were the first big deaths that I was sort of on Twitter and online because I remember seeing all of them announced on Twitter. Yeah. And I was just like, I remember the David Bowie one especially because it was like, this can't be true. It was earlier in the year. That was in January. And it it definitely seemed like untrue. Right. Because it's like, that's, it was like, I remember it was late at night too. And I was like, he wasn't even sick. (laughs) Like, you know, Uh, and it was just like shocking. but yeah, that year was bad right? for sure. Well, Desi, that was a great three-parter, a great way to um, you know, have a, our last show before we go on break. Yeah. Be that. With that being said, we are taking the month of July off for some rest and a vacation, but we will still have content available. Desi and I are doing a special movie club for the month of July in which we are recapping some of our favorite trash thriller movies. And we have posted those movies on our Instagram page. For the first week of July, we will be reviewing, well, recapping the 1993 film The Crush. For the second week of July, we I believe that's the 12th, We will be recapping the 2009 movie Obsessed, starring Beyonce. And the following week, we will be recapping oft-mentioned movie 1987, Flowers in the Attic. We talk about it a lot on this show. (laughs) And we will be concluding our movie club at the end of July with 2012's made-for-lifetime movie, Liz and Dick, starring Lindsay Lohan. Of course. So I think we may... I, I'm really proud of our selections. I think they're good. I think they're great. So if you want to watch along with us, those are all available for streaming. The episodes will appear each Tuesday in July. So watch the movie first if you want, and then listen to our recap of the movie. And we'll see you back in August to resume things as normally. Yeah. We'll have some, we're going to do our after show now, and tomorrow we're going to record some additional content for our Patreon. We will still have some Patreon stuff, some new Patreon stuff going up in July. So yeah. if you're a Patreon subscriber... You're still getting it's, stuff. You're still getting stuff, like pretty normal, what we usually do yeah. on Patreon. So stay tuned for that, and we will see you, we'll see you later. Bye. Bye. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.